0: Welcome to WOW Women Overcoming Whatever.
1: Okay, so Miss Michelle Ellis Young, if we would just go ahead and introduce yourself, darling, and then the board members while well, we introduce ourselves, love. That sounds great, Dr. Diva. <laughs> uh, I, I, as
2: as um, my sister, I was I was about to say my board member, as my sister said. She's still my board member, as my sister said, I am Michelle Ellis Young, and I have the pleasure of stewarding. Uh, the mission of the YWCA Southampton Roads uh, as its CEO. And our mission is uh, simple yet very uh, complex. It is eliminating racism, empowering women, and promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. Uh, I reside in Virginia Beach with my uh, family. My mother lives with us, my husband, and uh, two of four girls. Uh, I hope they leave soon. Um, they're of age and they can do that, but we're not pushing them out, right? Uh, and I'm a native of New Orleans, Louisiana.
1: That's on my bucket list, New Orleans.
2: <laughs> All right, we can go together now. Breeze flies for $39 each way.
1: <laughs> what? Oh, yes. Got to make- And I heard sense. it's a good flight. It's direct, okay. too. <laughs> what? Okay, got to look into that. Thank you, though. Miss Jackie Chapman, I see you face me, so we'll begin with you, dear. All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm
0: uh, Jacqueline Chapman, a member of the uh, Wild Boar. I don't know what to tell you about myself other than um, I'm retired and still working multiple jobs
1: (laughs) and enjoying every minute of it. (laughs) All right. Thank you, love. Miss Gretchen.
3: Good evening, everyone. My name is Gretchen Edwards Bodmer. I am the secretary for the WOW Board and I'm native of Virginia, and I work for NASA.
1: Okay, thank you.
4: Ms. Shelby, good evening, all. I am Shelby Powell Johnson. I serve the position as treasurer for the WOW um, Board, Executive Board, and um, it's happy to be here tonight. Okay, and Gretchen,
1: she stepped into the role of our secretary. Yay. And now, Miss Gwen, to
3: be here. I'm Gwen Williams. I am the um, vice president, or Madam President. I'm sorry, so many different hats and forgetting where I am tonight. It's been a long day, Miss Michelle. Um, I am the president of, wow, I'm happy to be on the board, thrilled I work, um, my day job is with Norfolk Redevelopment and Housing Authority, so um, this topic is so profound right now, Um, we're dealing with a situation right now and you guys have been a tremendous help and a partner with us there as well as everywhere, so we're happy to be on this Zoom with you as well as in any other partnerships.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, and I'm Ivory J. Warren. I'm the CEO and founder of WOW and so blessed to have these wonderful women a part of my board as well as serving with you, Michelle, on the YWCA board, um, Southampton Rose. and it's about to end. Um, And if we can, before um, we get started, can we have a moment of silence for the victims from um, that horrific act, I should say? So we can just close our eyes or whatever, however.
4: Okay, thank
1: you. All righty then. Um, Michelle introduced herself and she gave a bit of, uh, I told her to introduce herself and she gave us a brief overview of the YWCA Southampton roads and the services that are offered. So getting right into the questions. uh, One that I have here, Michelle is, we know that since the pandemic, domestic violence has been on the rise. According to the YWCA's latest statistics, as well as percentage wise, how much has traffic increased at the YWCA shelters? And also how many cell shelters do you currently have in operation? If you
3: need right.
1: me to anything, just say so.
3: Sure.
2: Thank you. I think I'll start with that latter que- uh, part of the question first. And uh, let me just say this before I answer the question. Gwen, thank you. Uh, thank you for what your teams are doing on the grounds uh, over at Young Terrace. Um, and it's a pleasure to serve alongside you all for all that you do. So God bless you all. You all are in my uh, prayers. Um, Uh, We operate uh, one um, congregant shelter here in the city of of Norfolk. It's an undisclosed location uh, that is a 20, 21 bedroom uh, shelter uh, facility that accommodates uh, up to 50 uh, uh, individuals, depending on the number of families uh, that are people in a family. Um, I can tell you, I came to the YW in um, May of this year, Uh, and this was our first go-round in the shelter uh, that opened in 2019. We had actually purchased this facility and not fully operated it um, because the pandemic hit. And the pandemic really uh, taught us some things about sheltering both in what we call congregant sheltering, which is the shelter home, as well as non-congregant, which is hotels and housing individuals safely in hotels. Uh, The pandemic has dramatically uh, increased the the services, uh, the intensity and the lethality of violence in our community whether that violence be domestic violence through sexual assault, or as as we saw yesterday, uh, domestic and gun violence. Um, Our teams are pressed and stretched on every single side. We are at full capacity uh, at our shelter currently. Uh, And when I say that, I mean on both sides, the shelter facility itself. As well as housing individuals in area hotels. Um, what we have also found in uh, this trans, uh, as we transition in um, the pandemic, is that violence has morphed into uh, bringing awareness to populations people didn't think about our elderly. You are, we see a huge increase. Uh, in this pandemic and elder abuse uh, being on a rise in violence against elderly individuals, as well as children who had no way of escape because school was their place of refuge. And now you find uh, children are now in uh, volatile situations with their abusers uh, because of lockdowns and, and not being able uh, to get out of the home. So when we talk about violence being on the rise, um, it, is a, it is a hotbed here in Hampton Roads. And I'm from New Orleans and I, I've seen a whole lot in a city like that, lived in Houston, Texas and went to school there and seen a whole lot there. I equate what we are experiencing right now in Hampton Roads uh, is almost like an imitator spirit. We are a very small kind of closely knit community, if you will, who's
1: trying to act like the big boys. And it doesn't
2: feel good here.
1: Wow, thank you, Michelle. Okay, another question. What are good ways to support a person dealing with a domestic violence situation, in your opinion? Be present. That's the first thing we would say to you is to be
2: present for them. Um, You know, everyone, handles trauma very differently. Uh, The first thing I would tell you in a situation like we experienced last night, you you want to be helpful. And that's what those women were trying to do. They wanted to be helpful. In situations like that, if, if you're in an active situation, let's talk about that first and then go to some of the other coping ways. But if you are in an active situation, the first mode of protection is self-preservation. It's not to um, um, put yourself in imminent danger trying to uh, de-escalate another situation. Uh, so protect self first, uh, document we would tell you to document, You know, we have cell phones and smartphones and those that you, know, you can capture footage that becomes critically important in an active situation should the police need to be engaged and called. And that would be the third step uh, if you're in an active situation. But if you're in a situation where you know uh, that someone uh, that's near and dear to you is being uh, abused, You know, you find ways to, uh, again, show presence, have the necessary conversations with them. Uh, Don't take on savior mentality. A lot of times, you know, we want to be, especially those of us in the church house, you know, we want to be Jesus. And that is not the time for us to be doing all of those things. Uh, because everyone is at a certain place in their journey, and so you want to make yourself available. You want to provide information to them. You know, we we would tell you make sure uh, that they get our uh, crisis hotline and, and get them to uh, talk to individuals who um, would be able to assist them. Uh, you want to uh, be able to, uh, you know, engage as, as, as sisters. And if you can get them out of their situation to go out, you know, to the movies or, or whatever that looks like to a safe place and space, uh, because if it's happening specifically in the home, then there's not gonna be a whole lot of discussion going on in the place because that's safe is not a, that place is not a safe or a brave place for someone. So we wanna try to get them into a safe or a brave space where they might be uh, able to open up a little fear. Uh, but the biggest thing
1: is, is to be present and to be there. Okay, thank you. Cause the board members came up with some excellent questions. And I think you touched on this as well, because another one, what awareness and prevention message slash words of advice do you have for women including those in same-sex relationships and youth around dating and relationship violence? Repeat that for me again, Dr. I. It says, I think you have touched on it somewhat too. What awareness and prevention message slash words of advice Mm -hmm. do you have for women, including those in same-sex relationships and youth around dating and relationship violence? Two words get out wow two words
2: get out um you know when you are in situations that are uh harmed it usually starts with with verbally with something right it doesn't automatically go straight to uh physical violence but there you know um women we 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 love we love to uh second, third, fourth, fifth chance it, you know, because we, we, we think that we can fix people and we can make people, you know, come, al- come alongside of us. I heard someone say this and it just stuck with me. Uh, when you see flags, believe them. We don't need to be cl- collecting flags, you know, and, and I think we do that a whole lot. We collect flags when we know, you know, mama, grandmama told you, baby, when something don't feel right, it probably ain't right. Mm-hmm. And so you need to 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 recognize and, and, and act on what those feelings are that you are experiencing. So I would say, get out. I would then say, get help because the trauma no matter what type of violence it was, uh, whether it was emotional or, or what type of abuse it was, emotional abuse, financial abuse. There could be spiritual abuse that's going on uh, in relationships. Whatever the form of the abuse it takes, that takes a toll on your psyche. It takes a toll on your spirit. It takes a toll on your being. And so when you get out, then you need to get help. And then when you can start to deal with yourself to be made whole, then you can be better those around you so those are the two things I would tell anyone get out and
1: get help oh great thank you um, then another one you touched on this as well too what ways can community leaders and groups like ours support women experience a domestic and relationship violence
2: I love that question because that's the advocacy piece you know, we do a lot of, 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 of collecting of information and that's all important because we need to know what we're dealing with. We need to be educated about it. We need to understand it. But there comes a point in the journey when we are called to act. And what does that action look like? That action can take the form of advocacy, ensuring that you are advocating For the least of these and advocating for marginalized communities and advocating for our women and our children. Um, And so I I, I fully believe that organizations like yours, particularly women's organization, have a unique opportunity to engage in the work of organizations like mine and uh, my counterpart Uh, domestic violence organizations to really uh, add voices to the conversation, add strength to the numbers, and really lift up those things that concern us as women by, quite frankly, a male dominated decision-making establishment, no matter where we are. It's in our workplaces, it's in our churches, it's in our governments. And so, We need to stop seeing ourselves as secondary to conversations about us. We need to be at these tables. We need to be kicking these doors down. We need to be saying something to make sure that what what concerns us does not fall on deaf ears or does not get answered in the way that we would like it to be answered. It's like telling people and, and Gwen, I know you know this. Stop going into people's community, giving them things they didn't ask you for. We need to have men to stop giving us things as women that we're not asking them for. But we need to be present to tell them this is what we want to see. So please, you know, when you hear the call for uh uh showing up to be. Present to support organizations like ours when we stand against racism, when we stand against domestic violence, when we stand against abuse. We need our women organizations to show up in strength and in numbers.
1: Yes. Excellent, thank you, thank you, thank you. Next, explain the role of the Norfolk Justice Center after YWCA, the role of the Norfolk Justice Center. So the Norfolk
2: Family Justice Center is, uh, the I, I, I'm biased, I'm going to say it's the crown jewel in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, and, 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 you know, people love to say, oh, we're the best kept secret. That is not a form of flattery to me at all. That is so unimpressive. Because there are too many people in the community that are hurting that need this work. So the Norfolk Family Justice Center is a public private partnership that really brings uh, a uh, a humanitarian spirit to uh, victims of violence, whether it be sexual assault, domestic violence, or uh, violence by weapons. And what this does is that these co-located space, we're co-located right in uh, our office facility in downtown Norfolk, our co-located services brings together our partners, Chesapeake Forensics. It brings together uh, the police, the Norfolk Police Department, uh, the Norfolk Department of Human Services, uh, and the Commonwealth Attorney's Office to be able to uh, humanely take care of victims of violence and their families as a one-stop shop. So if you will imagine, and and I don't wish this on anyone, and if this is your experience, uh, I don't want to try to rehash trauma for you, but it helps to explain what victims experience. Let's go with sexual assault. And let's just use the instance of a woman because that's our primary client. We do service men. A woman. is raped. This is what typically happens when she's raped. First, she has to contend with herself and what do I do? Once she figures out what she does, she might either she may either show up at a police station and report it or immediately go to ER. So we're gonna go with the standpoint of ER. She shows up at ER, where ER is not intended for rape victims. ER is just what it says, emergency room for emergencies what's deemed emergency, people coming in on ambulance. So she could sit there for eight to ten hours. As she's sitting there, she sees people that she knows. Girl, what you here for? Who's gonna say, oh, I just got raped? Doesn't work that way, right? So she's got this shame that she's sitting in. Then they 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 give her the 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 perk exam maybe, maybe not, send her on her way, and she's sent with nothing. She has to go over to the police station. They're not really in tune with taking care of that there. It could take up to four days for this woman to make it through systems to just get taken care of. And in those four days, she's rehashed this instance at least 10 to 15 times, because every person that touches her is asking her that question what happened she has keep telling that over and over again and if she has children four days can turn into nine days because now she has to contend with making sure she can get her kids wherever because you know she's on public transportation so we know that we lose people in the process this center brings that victim to us in one place that person tells that story to one person, and that starts the process of her healing, the process of her healing for her family. So she doesn't have to go here and go there and go there and take off the work and figure out. Everything that that victim needs is taken care of right there in the center. And God forbid if there is a death that happens, uh we have funds that help to bury individuals like the 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 three women that uh lives were lost will be working with their families to ensure that that they can be buried uh, and have the support that they need so there's a wide array of resources that are available we're truly treating trauma in this center not only are we treating trauma we are changing systems You used to not be able to go to the Norfolk family, uh, 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 the Norfolk court system with whatever you had on because they had dress code. Well, I'm sorry if I'm in a domestic violence situation and I left with the clothes that I have on my back, I'm showing up the court, how I'm showing up the court. So we have things like that from a systems perspective that reduce the barriers for people reporting incidences of crime in order to be able to receive the due justice that they deserve.
1: Oh wow! Thank you. Last question: What are the immediate needs of the YWCA Southampton Rose at this time? And we have the wish list that we're working on. So okay. once we get everything together, I bring it there to the office. So what you are may- your- Awesome. You make sure I'm there because I need to see you. I got to touch the hemp. Okay.
2: What are your immediate needs, my dear? I'm going to tell you this. Uh, We are in a desperate need for affordable housing. Uh, It's not just us. It's every DV uh, program in this area. Uh, You all know the pandemic just flipped everything upside down. Landlords got stuck with mortgages uh, from rental properties, and if they weren't able to get from under them, they foreclosed them or walk, you know, walked away or whatever. Uh, They're not very um, because of what their experience has been in the pandemic. uh, We found that there are not many victim-friendly landlords in uh, the area anymore, and so finding housing is a true, true. challenge and especially when the fair market rent uh, rate that the government allows us to help subsidize housing has not been adjusted. We're increasing people's wages, right? So uh, someone who made $9 an hour may be making $14 an hour, but they still can't afford the housing. And the house that we used to be able to get for them for eight or uh, $900 is now thirteen dollars to $1,500, yet we can only spend X number of dollars. So, my call is to folk who uh, I don't have money, but I know folk who know folk who got money is to go buy buildings and, and work with uh, marginalized communities uh, from the perspective. So, if you want to do good, uh, buy a house and rehab it. And I guarantee you, uh, the violent domestic violence centers in Hampton Roads, we can fill them for you fast. We need rooms for people to rent just to be able to get them um, out of. Out of uh, out of shelter, the last place we want people is in our shelters. Um, uh, it's the, the place to stop, but it's not the place to stay. We want people to feel uh, dignity, uh, courtesy, dignity, and respect in, in, and be treated humanely in their own place. So room riddles are great. Uh, one and two bedroom homes, we have to get families out of these hotels. It's not where children need to be reared. They need to be in homes where they can have stabilization and routines. Um, so that is our critical need right now. You know, I'm 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 a I'm a, a, a professional fundraiser. We always need money. And I don't say that loosely. We need money for services to pay for people to be made whole. And so, um, you know, if if you're ever thinking about what that looks like, um, just give me a call. Please do. And we can create, you know, creative programming to wrap around, uh, to
1: to make sure uh, that we're meeting the needs of our community. Thank you, dear. Michelle. you used to be, what, was it director of the American Red Cross?
2: Yeah, I was executive director for Red Cross Uh, in this area in coastal
1: Virginia. Right, thank you. Um, Also, because I know one thing in my basic counseling skills class with my students in every class I've held, I always tell them when you meet someone right up front, what type of relationship are you looking for? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people use that word love loosely. They don't know it's six types for six different types okay. of love. And you know, <laughs> a lot of people use that very, very loosely. So I tell them, you know, straight up front, let it be known, or whatever this is and ask whomever you may, met or meeting, or whatever. So a lot of time that may cut down on confusion and watch yes. sends mixed messages, because like you said, you just never know what could happen or what may, might transpire what triggers someone. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times people, you know, you can't play with folks' emotions. Oh no. Because- And you know, people are suppressing trauma. They're dealing, you know, yeah. you the people deal with
2: trauma at stages and life stages as well. And you, 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 we do things that we say, I got this, habit. how to I get this habit? Why do that? And you start thinking on that thing and you're like, oh, that's why people's trauma works the same way. And you never know what triggers that trauma that has not been dealt with. And I, I have four girls and we have the conversation with them all the time. You do not play with people's emotions. You do not stick around to see how it's gonna end up. If you get a, a feeling and unction, that something ain't right, baby, uh,
1: as I tell you, you better run and you better run fast. right fantastic any questions comments anybody for miss michelle excellent stuff
3: it was definitely great information and so pertinent and just breaking it down to what your grandma said michelle if it don't feel right babe hello <laughs> hello bye 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 yes we certainly appreciate you yes
1: awesome bringing anybody this else?
3: information
1: i see head you're shaking. very welcome Anybody else, any comments? Everybody not on mute, are they? Mm-hmm. Just,
4: and just I must say you. this,
1: Dr. Oh, go
2: ahead, Gretchen, I'm sorry. Just a
3: thank you for being here and the work that you do. And it is so important to our community. So we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us.
2: Thank That's you, you're very welcome. Uh, I wanna say this uh, I, because I just had this opportunity to speak with a, a radio station on Tuesday um, that does syndication across the country. And what they taught uh the, the purpose was domestic violence, but it was specifically in the black community. And I'd be remiss if I did not say this on this call, um, and uh to my sisters who look like me and to my ally Gretchen, because I know she's in this work with us. I can I I know I can tell that. <laughs> um is that um uh let me say it how how not that I agree with him philosophically on things, but this statement resonates with me. Is that the most unprotected uh, person is the black woman? The most neglected and the most disrespected is the black woman. That was Malcolm X in 1962, and that rings true today. We are seeing a disproportionate uh, number of uh, uh, impact on our uh, uh, black sisters as it relates to violence, and so when we talk about one in three women will be subject to violence, um, uh, that that is is probably one in two for for black women. We experience violence and trauma at a much higher rate than our uh, white sisters or other. Uh, uh, sisters of color. And so I implore you, uh, as you advocate as women, to pull men into this conversation, pull men into the conversation where they can stand flat-footed and know where they stand when it comes to violence against Black women. What happened last night should not have happened it just should not have happened but here we are faced as a community with five individuals who are who suffered and three of them did not make it if we are not awake in this moment to realize that we have some real issues that must be systemically dealt with in our communities that 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 must be that go across uh, socioeconomic lines, that go across racial lines and cultural lines. We have an opportunity in this moment to
1: collectively rise up and make a difference. Wow, thank you, powerful. Anyone else? Okay, well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure. I don't know if you can stick with us because Miss Shelby Powell Johnson, she's up next because she is a breast cancer survivor. And um, yes, and so without further ado, Miss Shelby PJ, you're up, my darling.
4: Thank you very much. I'm so honored to be here. And I just want to say, um, this has been very uh, enlightening, uh, Michelle, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, so much information. I've taking some notes because my um, position is, as a social worker, we're always making referrals and need resource, resources for uh, lots of our clients that are in the hospital, coming out of the hospital, so things like that. So thank you so much for such a powerful, powerful uh, uh, informative session tonight.
1: I thank you, Shelby.
4: Miss <laughs> Shelby, the first question that we're
1: going to pose to you, my dear, how long have you been a breast cancer survivor?
4: My first diagnosis was uh, confirmed in um, May, I'm sorry, April of 2000, so 21 years. Hmm. <laughs> 21 years.
1: And clap, hand, clap. Next and question. Can- when you were first diagnosed, Shelby, with breast cancer, what were your emotions, feelings, your thoughts, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
4: Well, I must uh, say that let you all know, and I'm sure most of you know, but Michelle may I know, I am a three-time survivor. So, as praise uh, God, um, my first reaction was a great deal of concern, simply because in November of '99. I went to my PCP and my GYN for my regular checkups and was telling them about an area of my left breast that I had found and because I'm African-American I was told by both gentlemen my PCP uh, said oh well you know African-Americans have very dense breasts so we'll just keep an eye on it. nothing to worry about so um, my GYN had gave me a little bit more thorough exam as he did his breast examination and he says well what did your PCP say told him, he said, okay, I'll keep an eye on it as well. So we move and journey on to, um, I'll say February of 2000, and I had some pain. So when I received the pain in that same area, I immediately called my PCP and said, I need to be referred to a specialist. And he sent me to a great uh, specialist in in Portsmouth. So um, I'll say when I went in to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying that was in April. When I went in to see the surgeon, his first question was, who told you you had fibrocystic breasts? And what did they do? Well, my response was nothing. They told me, they yeah, will watch it. So right away, his concern was my concern because I was watching at the time. I'm very uh, observant. So I was watching body language. I was watching um, even his breathing. And he just kind of looked and he said, well, my first concern is the time that has passed since you first uh, found it. So he said to me, I need you to uh, understand that normally I have my patient to come back for a biopsy. He said, because of the time, I don't want to waste, waste time. I want to perform a biopsy today. Um, and at that time, anxiety kicked in, anxiousness kicked in. So he said to me, we're going to prep you. So I had a biopsy and all of this going on in the room. So he took the tissue sample, put it in a little, uh, I call it a little tube and he washed it. So while he was watching it, I was watching him and he was turning his head and looking. So I said to myself then, okay, now I'm really anxious and concerned. So those were my reactions, anxious and concerned, because he, uh, when I left there, he said, I'll be in touch with you in a few days with the results. And he called me the very next day. And he told me at that time, um, I had, he confirmed triple negative breast cancer, which is the worst breast cancer of the three. So Mm -hmm. here I am, some time has passed, seven, eight months, triple negative, um, he kind of estimated the size of the mass the lump was probably about five centimeters so i immediately went home got on my computer and started looking so he's prepped me got me ready for surgery and a week later i was in uh, maryview hospital having a radical mastectomy on the left side and it was an amazing amazing experience um it was a it was a great experience people looking at me like are you crazy so that, that's a whole nother story but I was anxious. I was very concerned. Um, there was fear um, that I felt simply because of what I had heard, what I had helped my other clients with, you know, what they did. Uh, some people that I knew they had breast cancer that had passed away. So all those things were going through uh, my mind. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Next question.
1: How has this journey of breast cancer survivorship been for you?
4: a great journey. Um, I say that simply because um, I'm a unique case. Three times um, the, the second occurrence came about a year and a half, two years later on the same side uh, where the mastectomy and eight bouts of chemo and 30 rounds of radiation took place. So I had a reoccurrence so that journey of, from that time, that year and a half to almost two years span um, I did well. I, I really uh, was excited to be like almost like an advocate, I could explain, I could be a voice whereas I did not have a forerunner um, when I went through it. So I have forerunner for many women who have said, Shelby, I have someone that's going through it, can you call them, can you talk with them? So that in itself has been a great journey for me because I am um, not something that you read or something that you heard, I am something you can talk to and touch and feel and see that there is life after a triple negative diagnosis. I specifically always want to talk to those women because basically a triple negative woman has been given a five-year life expectancy. So um, during my journey, I was able to speak for a breast cancer um, group at uh, the convention center in Chesapeake. And as I spoke, the doctor that preceded me, he said, well, the triple negative woman is a five-year life expectancy. And at that particular time, I was scheduled to speak for five minutes and I, uh, was at a nine-year uh, timeline at that time. So I was anxious to get up to say, oh, um, doctor, I just wanted to make, make mention of this. But unfortunately, he had to rush out after his PowerPoint doing all that stuff. But I was excited to get up with my little planned speech. So when I got up, it was like God said, okay, this is your time to bring reassurance that I am who I am. And medicine is one thing and and paperwork and numbers and statistics, but you stand up and you tell the people and give life and you give hope to those women. Because a lot of women had uh, turbans on, some of them were bald headed. So they were in the midst of the treatment. So the first thing I did when I got up on my journey, I said, first of all, I'm glad to be here. I introduced myself three times, two times over at that time. I said, I am a triple negative woman and I am nine years in. And the room erupted. So it's stuff like that that I had to just say, you know what? I am a uh, advocate. I'm a voice. Uh, I'm a living example of what uh, my great creator can do. So my journey um, has been wonderful. And my- I mean, we,
1: we, know, we know your journey, what you went through doing your husband as well.
4: Sure. Oh, yeah, that so Michelle would know what you were dealing with at that okay. time too. Okay, so during my second uh, time, I was um, scheduled for seven bouts of chemo. My husband, at the time, my boyfriend, my significant other, he was uh had became ill, had became jaundice. Uh, we thought he had hepatitis, something. We had ate at chilies, maybe some salmon. So he went through about six months of tests from um, here at gastro to MCV. Uh, they didn't know what he had. They didn't know who this was a 40 year old man, man who was healthy, no smoking, no drinking. And he had uh, been diagnosed with what they suspected was cholangiocarcinoma of the bile duct, almost like there's a tumor in your bile duct that we can't get to to get a temple t- tissue sample to confirm that this is what it is. So they treated him right away, radically, with chemotherapy directed to the bile duct. So over a course of about a year, um, He started chemo and I was doing chemo too. So during that time we were both doing chemo at the same time. My oncologist was his oncologist. So I pretty much watched my uh, significant other kind of decline over about two years. So eventually we got married. So for seven years, well, first of all, the doctor said, you have one year that you'll be living. This is a disease that normally affects uh, uh, Caucasian men who are alcoholics and elderly. So we suspect that that's what you have so they treated him that way so i watched him for seven years um, his quality of life declined greatly so he passed away at the seven-year mark we had got married at the four-year mark so we were together a long courtship but we were married actually like like three years mm-hmm. but so doing that was part of my journey too so people are like when i'm telling this all the time they're like how did you do it and um what this has taught me in my journey was i read about i'm a i'm a a woman of faith So I read about things like um, you should live and not die and by his stripes, you are healed. So all those things that I read about and I used to uh, be a a women's uh, chair at my church, I had to get up and stand up and say, okay, you read it and then believe it and walk in it. So that's where I am.
1: (laughs) Thank you, my dear. Next question. Um, (laughs) If you can give one tip to women and men in regards to breast cancer, what would it be?
4: um get you a strong support system that means uh, people that say i'm with you and they stay with you even when you have a reoccurrence and they come back and get with you because what i found was women that says well you know um i was dating a guy when i gave him the diagnosis he said i can't stand i don't think i can deal with a woman who was just gonna have one breast so i heard a lot of stories Mm -hmm. so i found a lot of women that do not have a strong support system support physical a real human being support is 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 a, a must when you're going through such a, 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 a diagnosis as breast cancer because it's like a death sentence. Most people say breast cancer, oh my goodness. So I have learned what it was to need a strong support system. So I am that support system for women, men, or whomever needs to understand that you can do this. So it's almost like I'm a I'm a I'm, I'm coaching. You know, I'm a I'm a death forerunner. So. Um, I would say you really need a strong support system and a faith. You know, you have to have a faith that won't waver. Good. Thank you.
1: Because I was just remember a colleague from years ago when I was with the Women's Center, um, and she had shared her story with us when um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had a sister that was a physician and mm-hmm. a husband. They were trying to say it was all in her mind, her head, this and that. And she became depressed because they didn't believe her, you know, this and that. And also... She finally she's I've got to pull myself together for my two kids, and mm-hmm. she got a second opinion just to be sure, and <laughs> she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And they told her that good thing that she did get a second opinion, and oh, yeah. you know, finally she ended up divorcing her husband at that time because she said she couldn't believe that he was not supporting her and just thinking this was all yeah. in her head.
4: Yeah, and well, let me just did- touch on that part about the second opinion because what I had when my surgeon he took me. He said, well, I want to get, get us, he said, we, we have confirmed what this is, but I need you to talk to a great oncologist who was at that time, um, Dr. Lloyd Shabazz, who is now retired. So he he was on the first floor and Dr. Shabazz was on the third floor. So he sent me up to see him immediately. So um we talked, and he said, I want you to just get together, get you some questions together, and when we meet again, we're gonna talk. So I had a great friend who was a medical oncology social worker who worked with me at Oversea Hospital, who came with me and my mom to the appointment. So here I am on the website getting all these questions. I had about a legal pad full of questions. So he came in, he looked, he says, wow, you got a lot of questions there Shelby. I said, we told me to get my questions together. He said, okay, let me talk first. So he pulled his chair up in front of me as if he and I were in the room alone. Not my mom, not my co- colleague. And he says, I want you to listen to what I gotta say and listen carefully. He said, and hopefully by the time I finished I would have answered some of these questions. That man was so thorough and so good doing a second opinion that every, and as he was talking, I was kind of looking and checking it off. So he was watching, <laughs> and also he at the end, he said, okay. So he was telling me about, this is the worst type. He said, that pretty hair that you have. He said, I'm going to have to take some of that hair out. And he was just telling me, being really realistic with me. So he said, I am not one to play. He said, I am the uh, a strong uh, believer in t- tell it like it is. So he was well and I had did some research on him. He was way up in the Mayo Clinic, had developed a lot of stem cell, a lot of stuff going on. So anyways, when he said, so, t- so now I'm ready for your questions. So he slid back. He said, now I'm gonna let everybody in the room. So I said, I don't have any questions. And he said, oh, uh-huh. So I said, you've answered every single question, Dr. Shabazz, so second opinion, and when people ask me, well, what did you do? I said, I got a second opinion. You need a second opinion. You need that reassurance. You know what I'm saying? So he was able to tell me all about the chemo and stuff like that. So, But he stayed with me from first diagnosis to second. And then when I had it 17 years later, from 2000 to 17, the right side of my breast, I had triple negative. I didn't have triple negative. I had a different so I didn't have, to have any treatment. So I had three seven, 20 years of dating Dr. Jabal. So when he retired, I said, we breaking up? He said, yeah, I got to let you go. So. I, our second opinion is is crucial. It's awesome
1: because it's just like you know, uh, the awesome lady that we know. She uh, was just recently diagnosed, and they had said like last year because of the pandemic, she didn't keep her mammogram appointment. Mm-hmm. So when they she went this year, that's when they detected and found hers. And right. so Shelby's been good about uh, reaching out to her, and I send little things as well too, because like she said. She has a strong support system. Yes. I think yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong, when her hair came out, whatever this, and her husband shaved his hair, uh, his head of hair, and I think, and others that knew mm. them in the church mm. and whatever, and you know, that was great yes. to see. And yes. I think made up like wristbands or something, you can yes. get, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And she yes. has a blog. Yeah, uh-huh. For yes. Her yes. journey. So yes. great. Thank you, Shelby
2: um i just gotta say this to you and i'm not trying to interrupt you but as as i keep hearing you say triple negative three times triple negative girl you done got a trinity here. let's just call it what it is i am just marveling at this thing here
4: yes and you know i'm so honored it's like you know i have two sisters and i'll just say this i am like My mom's like my dad is deceased, my mom's like right hand, left hand, and all that. And you know, I love my sisters, but we're just different. (laughs) So people were saying they know my family history, and they're saying, Wow, you know, your baby sisters this way, and your older sisters maybe that way. You just I just understand this thing. Why are you? But I just say this. God has to use who he can get the glory out of. So, you know, this is this is during my journey. It's like so much stuff is just coming to my mind. And he said, I had to choose you. I never said, why me, why, 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 I just said, why not me? Cause not? I'm gonna open my mouth and I'm gonna live first of all, through all this, I'm gonna live. And once I do, I'm gonna tell the whole world how great thou art. So it's and because what did your dad tell you, what did your father tell you? Oh, my father told me, I went on his terminal bed. He told me he had lung cancer. I don't care what it takes. I want you to take care of your mother. And I'm like, I'm the baby, I'm the middle, I don't have no kids, I'm single, why me? He said, I'm not gonna depend on the older child and I know I can't depend on the baby. I'm giving you the law. He said, I'm giving you the law. I'm giving it to you. And I'm saying, reluctantly, I said, I, he said, promise me, promise me. So I always say, on oh, my father's this deathbed, he asked me to promise him that I would take care of my mother. And from that day, 1989, to this day, I said, I'm here. I'm the one. So I knew from that, and, and that then I go back to what it says, honor thy mother and father, father days should be long. So I did that. So he I got I, I just got a long life. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a Thank last you. question. Um, uh, what are good
1: ways to support a person dealing with a diagnosis of breast cancer?
4: Being present, being present. Say Thank what you man. mean and mean what you say. When you say, I need you to go with me to go get my mammogram, when I need you to go with me to get my second uh, uh mammogram, my, my, my ultrasound or whatever, or when they say, can you go with me to chemo, as horrific as chemo was, the, even a the stint of chemo, I'm thinking, Ew! But I've held hands doing chemo. I've seen people, with, I've handed them their bag so they could do what they had to do. I sang, I prayed and all that. So you have to be present in the moment. People are depending on you. Again, like I said, I didn't have that. I didn't have anybody. I had my nursing staff who was awesome, but they said, we depend on you to go ahead on through this because we're going to need you to come back and advocate and sit with some of these people. And they would yeah. call me, Shelby, I need you to come in tomorrow. we got a patient coming. She's really young. She's really afraid. Can you come and sit with her? Sure. So being present in the moment. Mm. Awesome.
1: Any final comments or words from Shelby, from Michelle, and anyone else here? Don't everybody speak up at one
4: time. I'm just grateful. That's what my license plate says. Grateful,
3: G-R-A-F-A-L with a breast cancer ribbon. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you, Shelby. I hadn't heard your story all the way through, and I, I'm just really blessed to have heard it. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful to know you and to be connected with you in this way. And you are definitely a survivor. Well,
4: it's an honor for you to say that. Thank you.
1: Wait a minute, oh gee, you sure are quiet tonight.
2: That's because <laughs> she's messing with backgrounds, looking all fancy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: she done changes on us now. Honey, yeah. I'm watching you. <laughs> i gotta do something i gotta do something i just want to just thank both of you ladies you know for sharing with us this was just awesome uh tonight um and you know i know that um as african-american women you know um we suffer a lot we go through a lot but i also want to add we are resilient yes absolutely you know we are overcomers yes you know and so um you know, as we go out and as we advocate and as we stand beside our sisters to just remind them that regardless of what we are going through, you know, we can come through it better than we went into it.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, my wheels always turn and I'm like, we need to do a TikTok. <laughs> I think we had <laughs> talked about that. They talk about using the different platforms. Michelle, you've been out there for a while because they were talking about with different nonprofits and things of that nature. Use your social platforms. Mm-hmm. That way, you just never know what may come out of it, donors or mm-hmm. whatever the case that's may right. be. And they say that's the way of the world now, those social platforms. And right. I was thinking of us TikTok, and I think we had said it one time, like, okay, Gwen, what have you overcome? And now, Jackie or Michelle or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and this and that, you know, because. And you just never know who we may reach.
3: Yes. Doing as long as we like don't have to
1: dance. No. <laughs> no, we can't break it down. You know, we got to <laughs> This has been fantabulous. Michelle, you have been. anything to say before Uh-oh. we adjourn? Yeah. Uh, just, I, I do
2: want to give you all this number in the event that you need to give it to someone. Uh, if they're experiencing some type of trauma or violence, our crisis line is 24 365 66 in the leap year. The hotline number is 757-251-0144. 757-251-0144. And Diva Darling, you have my uh emails. Please feel free to send it to your board. I would love to connect with you ladies, you I know, mean. whether it's in your other places that you are, your place of worship, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um, we've we've got work to do to get
1: this message yeah. out. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for um when our intern students express an interest in the YWCA. For utilizing them i don't know if she still worked there but years ago um i can see her face lord i can't think of her name um she used to be at the front desk there and she's married now not too long ago had a baby mm-hmm. oh i can i can see her face um because her mother works at virginia beach campus her mother's name michelle lord i can't think of her last name and anyhow um also, let say, uh, uh, um, the Student Resource and Empowerment Center on each of the campuses, they have the YWCA as a, a resource as well. And I meant the new, I think she's outreach or program coordinator because I didn't Royal. know. Yeah, I didn't know my, uh, what was her name? Catherine Cook or she had Catherine, left.
2: yeah, she's gone, yeah. yeah.
1: She told me, yes. And so thank you for that when everything is held there. And also I had mentioned to the president of TCC that you would be reaching out to her and that I had given you Letitia Johnson's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. number because um, I think that is a good connection too as well. Yes. So she would be aware of the YWC of yes. South Lincoln Road. So yeah, on absolutely. that note, ladies, if anything else, nothing else, this has been a blast. Yes.
0: This has been Women Overcoming Whatever. We thank you for listening. Follow our social media pages on Facebook, Women Overcoming Whatever, Wow, and on Instagram and Twitter, at Women Overcoming Whatever. Visit our website, womenovercomingwhatever.org. Thank you for listening.